if you have a copy of God's Word, either a printed copy like I have or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I think that we would all agree that our world is messed up. All we have to do is read the newspaper or watch the news and we are reminded every single day of how messed up it is. We have wars and murders. We have people stealing from one another, taking advantage of one another. We have child abuse, sex abuse, spouse abuse. It seems that we are more divided socially, racially, ethnically than we have ever been before. The family structure is crumbling before our eyes with fewer and fewer children growing up in two-parent homes with a traditional mother and father. And the church doesn't seem to be helping. Much of the church has embraced the values and beliefs that are far from what the Bible says are holy or true or right. I look around and it seems like we are living in the shadow of a black cloud of evil. And on top of all of that, we have natural disasters that that seem to be escalating. We have plagues and diseases that are growing at epidemic proportions and we have mental illness that that seems to be becoming more and more prevalent but even with all of this there are those who believe that we are moving in the direction of a perfect society a utopia a, a return to Eden that things are somehow getting better and better Now, it would be great if man on his own would be able to somehow create a utopia. But I think that you would agree with me that that is not going to ever happen. Man is not going to be able to ever create a world that is perfect, a world without fear, a world without hate, a world without greed, a a world without crime, a world without we're without sin. Man cannot do it. But there is some good news. You see, what man cannot do, God can do. And God will do. There is coming a day when God is going to establish a perfect earthly world. It will be a golden age, an age in which justice will prevail, an age in which righteousness will rule, that that good will finally reign over evil. Can you imagine a world where we don't need burglar alarms because there are no burglars? Can you imagine a world in which it will be safe to walk in 
back alleys of large cities in the dead of night. And it will be as safe to do that as it is to walk in an open field in the light of day. Can you imagine a world where there are no disasters? There is no famine, so there is no one hungry. There is no drought, so there is no one thirsty. There are no tornadoes or hurricanes or flash floods or earthquakes of any kind. The weather, the climate is absolutely perfect year-round. Can you imagine a world where there is no disease? There is no hospitals because no one is physically sick. There are no mental institutions because no one is mentally sick. There is no need for doctors or nurses or surgeons or medicines or drugs of any kind because everyone is perfectly and permanently healthy. Can you imagine a a world where there is no death? There are no cemeteries or tombstones or castics or funerals. There is no weeping or wailing over the loss of a loved one because no one dies. Can you imagine a world where there's no devil? Where there is no evil because the evil one has been removed. A world where there's no temptation because the tempter has been removed. Can you imagine a world where Jesus is worshipped as King of kings and Lord of lords? A world in which the kingdom of God has come to earth. It seems to be a world that we can only imagine in our mind, but understand it is coming. And we call it the millennial reign of Christ. A thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning on planet earth. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Daniel predicted the coming of the king. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, he said, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. But Daniel not only predicted the coming of the king, Daniel predicted the coming of the kingdom. In verse 14, he said he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. You see, I believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, he is going to establish a literal kingdom For he will rule on earth for a thousand years. And we read about this kingdom in Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 10. Now this passage is called the millennial reign of Christ by us. And and it's interpreted most often one of three ways. There are some who hold to a view called amillennialism. And the people who hold to this view say that this passage is not to be taken literally. And and that the millennial reign is is right here, right now, that we are living during this period known as the millennial reign. But I would have two answers to those who hold to that view. I I would say, first of all, well, if we're not to take this passage literally, then we shouldn't take any of the book of Revelation literally. 
And the truth of the matter is that, that God gave this revelation to John as a revelation of literal things that were going to happen on planet earth. And so if we're to take some of Revelation literally, I believe that we're to take all of the book of Revelation literally. But I would also say to those who hold to this view that if we are living in the millennium and Satan is chained and he is thrown into the bottomless pit during the millennial reign, then he's climbed out of the pit. And he's broken free from that chain. Because Satan is alive and well and he's working on planet earth today. And so this view, I believe, is wrong. There are other people today that hold to a view called post-millennialism. And these people believe that, that the world is going to get better and better as the gospel is preached until the reign of Christ is ushered in to the world. But I would say to those who hold to that view that if the world is going to get better and better before Jesus comes back, then we got a long time before Jesus is coming back. Because things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse. And the truth of the matter is, is 2 Timothy 3 tells us that in the last days, those days before Jesus comes back, they're going to be perilous, dangerous, difficult, evil times. And so the Bible doesn't say that it's going to get progressively better and then Jesus is going to come. No, the Bible says it's going to get progressively worse and then Jesus comes. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, apart from the second coming of Christ, the world is more likely to sink into pandemonium than to rise to a millennium. And I would say to that, amen. Now, the third view is called post-millennialism. And that's what I believe and that's what we teach as a church. We teach that Jesus must first come back and then he will set up his kingdom. Now let me set the stage for you if I can. Jesus has come in the rapture. And he has raptured his church, his bride, out of the world. When he does this, when the rapture takes place and the church is taken out of the world, this initiates the tribulation. The Bible calls it the wrath of the Lamb, the anger of the Lamb on the world. And for seven years, God's anger is poured out on the world through a series of judgments. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. But not only is God's wrath unleashed on a sinful world, God allows Satan to rule the world. But then at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back. And the armies of the world gather to fight against Jesus. But with a word, he destroys all the armies of the world. And we are told that he throws the false prophet and the antichrist into hell, the lake of fire. And that's where chapter 20 begins. And the first thing that we see in chapter 20 is that Satan is seized and he's thrown into the bottomless pit. Uh, listen to what it says beginning in verse 1. 
It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Now we are told a chain, an angel will come down out of heaven, will chain Satan, and will cast him into the bottomless pit. In other words, Satan will be in prison, restrained, prevented from attacking us, deceiving us, or tempting us for a thousand years. I believe that those are some of the greatest words any follower of Jesus could ever hear because we have a terrible, powerful enemy who fights against us each and every day. But the Bible says there's coming a day when he will be chained and thrown into the bottomless pit. Now what's amazing is that there are many people that do not believe in, in Satan. They don't believe in a literal devil. As a matter of fact, a Barna survey that was conducted several years ago discovered that less than 35% of those who call themselves Christians believe in a real, literal being called Satan. Now, that's hard for me to believe. And it's hard for me to believe for two reasons. One, when I look at the evil in this world, I have to believe that there is a being, there is a power that is behind all of this evil. But that's not the only reason that I believe in a literal devil. I believe in a literal devil because the Bible teaches it. Over and over again, the devil, Satan, is mentioned in God's Word. Jesus even encountered Satan in the wilderness when Satan tempted him over and over again. The Bible calls him a roaring lion who is looking for people to devour. He is called a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In this passage, he is referred to by four names. He is called the dragon that is fierce, destructive, and dangerous. He is called the serpent who is devious, crafty, and tempting. He is called the devil who both accuses us and discourages us. And he is called Satan, who is our enemy, our adversary. Then I'm sure that everyone in this room has lost some battles to Satan. But there's coming a day when God will deal with Satan. But I want you to notice something here. It says that he is bound for a thousand years, and then he will be set free for a little while. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I want you to notice where he is locked up, where he is sealed. It says that he is sealed in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, this isn't hell. This isn't the lake of fire. The, the bottomless pit, the abyss, is a temporary holding cell, a, a place of incarceration for, for wicked, evil spirits. Do you remember the story of Legion? That, that man who was possessed by, by numbers of demons? Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with those demons? 
And the demon said to Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss. Don't cast us into the pit. Cast us into that, that herd of pigs. You see, the pit, the abyss, was a place where, where some of the evil spirits were locked up until the day of judgment. The book of Jude tells us that. In Revelation chapter 9, we are told the bottomless pit, the pit, the pit, the abyss, is what Satan unlocked at God's command so that demons could come out and torment mankind. And so Satan is bound for a thousand years. Now I want to remind you of something before we go any further. I want to remind you that our battle, our fight, isn't just against Satan. We are battling against Satan, a literal enemy, and his army of demons. But we are also battling against this world. Now, not the earth on which we live, but the world system that is controlled by Satan. Jesus told us, or God's word told us in 1 John, love not this world, nor the things of this world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But we not only battle against Satan and this world, the Bible tells us that we battle against our sinful nature. Each and every one of us are born with a sinful nature. When we're saved, we are given a new nature. But we still have that old nature. Paul talked about that battle between the old nature and the new nature in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things that I want to do, oftentimes I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing this battle between the old nature and the new nature. And so Satan isn't our only enemy. The world and the world system controlled by Satan is our enemy. And our flesh, the old nature, is our enemy. And so we see Satan is bound and he's cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. But next we discover that the righteous will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Notice what it says beginning in verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, not a throne, but thrones. And the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their forehead or their hand. They all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. You see, the Bible teaches as sure as we die, we will be raised. But the Bible tells us that there are two resurrections. First, there is a resurrection for believers. And then second, there is a resurrection for unbelievers. First, there is a resurrection for those who go to heaven, for those who will spend eternity with God in his presence. And then second, a resurrection for those who are going to hell, those who will be separated from God forever. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, it says this, 
Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Those who experience the first resurrection we read about in this passage need not fear the second death it talks about in this passage. The second death has no power over them. But woe to those who don't know Jesus because the second death is coming. You see, for a person who doesn't know Jesus, they're going to die twice. For the person who has been born again, they may die once, but because they have been born twice, they will only die once. We will not experience that second death, which is being thrown into the lake of fire. But not only will the righteous be raised, the Bible says here that the righteous will reign with Christ. You and I, as followers of Jesus, will sit on thrones and we will rule with Jesus for a thousand years. Some of us will rule cities. Some of us will rule counties. Some of us will rule countries. But the Bible says that all of us who are followers of Jesus, who are his saints, will rule with him. We will be princes, rulers upon this earth. Now, how will it be determined what we will rule? Well, by our faithfulness and our service right now. You see, we're not saved by our works, but our rewards after this life is over is based on what we do for Jesus. That's what the parable of the talents is all about. You see, it doesn't matter how many talents we have. It doesn't matter what our gifts may be that God has given us. The question is, how are we serving Jesus? How faithful are we being right now with what God has given us? Because one day, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus on a new earth. And how we rule and what we reign will be determined by what we do right now. Now notice what it says about us. It says we are blessed and holy. We will be joyful and justified. We will be happy and we will be holy. For a thousand years, we will rule with Jesus on planet earth. Now, there's probably a lot that we don't know about this millennial reign. But the Old Testament does give us a lot of information about what it's going to be like. The Bible says that it's going to be a time of peace, that war will be a thing of the past. The Bible says that it will be a th time of prosperity, that no person will lack for anything. And the Bible says that it will be a time of prolonged life. In Isaiah 65, verse 20, it says, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at age 100. Did you hear that? There is coming a day when 100 won't seem old. I'm going to deal with Stephen McNeil a little bit later about what he said about our ages. But the fact of the matter is, the oldest person in this room 
will be a young man or a young woman during the millennial reign. And then it says only the cursed will die that young. But this period of utopia, this period of heaven on earth will not last forever. It will end after a thousand years. And the Bible tells us that at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be set free. And the world will rebel once again against God. Listen to what it says in verse 7. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will let out, be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven um, on those attacking the, on the attacking armies and consumed them. Now, the million-dollar question here is why is Satan released? And I can answer that question with three words. I don't know. I, I don't know. Someone said it this way. You tell me why God released Satan on man the first time, and I will tell you why God released Satan on man the second time. But I do have an idea. I, I do have a thought as to why God releases Satan. I believe it may be to show our fallen sinful nature, our need for a Savior. Because as soon as he is released, the Bible says the people of the world fall in line behind him. Now understand, this isn't the redeemed. You see, you need to understand that at that battle called Armageddon, before the millennial reign of Christ, not everybody on earth dies. The armies are defeated, but not everybody is fighting in that army. It seems to me that the Bible teaches that there are going to be people that go into this millennial period from that tribulation period. And then there are going to be children that are born during the tribulation period. And just as today, each and every person has to personally make a decision for Christ, in that day, every person will have to personally make a decision for Christ. And the problem is, is everybody doesn't. And, and we discover that as soon as Satan is released, many of the people of the world go to battle against God with him. Now what does that teach? That teaches us that time doesn't remove evil from the heart of man man has lived in a perfect paradise for a thousand years peace has ruled on earth for a thousand years Jesus is sitting on the throne righteousness is taking place no one is misjudged no evil is going unpunished everything is right and yet, at the end of a thousand years, when given the chance, 
people rebel against God. It also shows us that environment doesn't change the human heart. You know, one of the things that people say today is if they only lived in a different place, if they only grew up in a different environment, then they would be different. And understand, hear me, I want you to understand, I know that environment affects us. I know that. And I am so thankful that I was born into a family with a mother and father that passionately loved Jesus. Because i got to be honest with you. If I had not been raised in the family I was raised in, I have no clue where I would be today. I might be in prison rotting away somewhere. And so I thank God for a godly environment. But what this teaches us is that the best of environments will never change the human heart. Because the environment is perfect. The world is perfect. Jesus is on the throne. Everything is great. And when Satan is released, people rebel against God. You see, the human heart is tragically evil. We are wicked and sinful at the core of who we are. And time won't change that. Our environment won't change that. Only Jesus, only being born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, can that ever change? And we see that here. But then finally, we see Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. In verse 10 it says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can I get an amen? Let me tell you, we should never rejoice over the fact that people are going to go to hell. Hell wasn't created for human beings. Hell was created for Satan and the demons that rebelled against God. And the only way human beings can ever go to hell is to reject the grace and the mercy of God and side with Satan. We have to make the deliberate choice to reject God's mercy to go to hell. Praise God, Satan is thrown in hell. Some people have this idea that Satan is the ruler of hell. He's not. Satan is in hell, tormented along with everyone else who is going to be there. You know who the ruler of hell is? Jesus. Jesus is the ruler of hell. Jesus is the ruler of heaven and earth and the things under the earth. He is the ruler of it all. And one day, he's going to set everything right. So Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire along and be there with the false priests and the Antichrist who are already there. But what's next? We're going to talk about what's next next week. But I'll just, i got to tell you. What's next is the judgment. The great white throne judgment. You see, everyone who has rejected Jesus 
Everyone who has refused God's grace and mercy will be resurrected. And they will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And they will be judged. Every person will be judged on their life. And you may say, hey, I'm good with that. I want to be judged by my life. Oh, no, you don't. The Bible says our very best efforts are not good enough. The Bible says no one is good, not even one of us. We are told in God's word that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard of God. We are all rebels at heart. We want to sit on the throne of our life and call the shots. And that's sin. And until we're willing to step off the throne and and admit our sin, our rebellion, and cry out to God for mercy and grace, We have no hope. You see, each and every one of us are either going to rule and reign with Christ or we're going to stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment and be judged and be found guilty and be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Nobody in their right mind would want that. God is a God of mercy and grace. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to right the wrong that the first Adam did. The first Adam sinned. The Bible says it brought sin upon all humanity. We are born into sin. And all of us who are honest will acknowledge that. But Jesus came to make us right with God, to die in our place so that we could be forgiven and restored and spend eternity with Him. So have you accepted Him? Have you received Him? Have you humbled yourself before Him, acknowledging your sin, trusting Christ alone to save you, surrendering your life to Him as your Lord? If you haven't, That's the most important thing that you can do. You need to humble yourself before God. Admit your sin. Trust Jesus to save you. And surrender your life to his control. And if you do, he'll save you. He'll forgive you. And he will make you new. I want you to bow your head with me. And I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've never acknowledged your sinfulness before a holy God, then I beg you, I plead with you this morning to turn from your selfish pride and ask Jesus to forgive you, to save you, to make you new. Quit living a life that is way less than God created you for. If you're ready to do that, I invite you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner 
a rebel. I've lived life my way. I'm tired of living that way. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. My self-rule. Today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Save me. Come into my life. Take control. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. And with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, please don't look around. If you're here and you prayed that prayer just then and you meant it for the very first time, you meant it for the very first time. It doesn't mean matter how many times you've prayed it in the past if you didn't mean it. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it for the very first time, just lift your hand right now so that I can see you and rejoice with you. If you're here, you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand right now? Anyone here? Anyone here? In the balcony. Okay, I want you to look at me. I didn't see any hands. So that tells me one of two things. It tells me, one, that everyone in this room has given your heart and life to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. It's great. Or it tells me that some of you are willingly, knowingly going to step out of this room today rejecting God's love. pray that's not you I pray everyone in this room is saved but if you're not it's not too late humble yourself before God in just a minute we're going to have a uh, our altar time I'm going to be down front and some other pastors and, and we're here to pray with you to talk with you but our altar is also open our God is a God who heals people of physical diseases. He is a God who, who heals people of depression and despair. He is a God who can restore the most broken of broken relationships if we allow Him. He is a God who can set us free from whatever chain binds us because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So whatever your need is this morning, take it to Jesus. Our altar is open. Pastors are going to be down front to pray with you. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray quickly. And then our praise team is going to lead us in a song. Father God, this is your time. I know, Father, that I can't change a human heart. I can't convict your spirit can and I pray Father that your spirit will do what what we can't 
have your way. During this time, Father, do miracles, I pray. Amen.